Hello and welcome to episode six of the Autocar Business Changemakers podcast in association with Tomorrow's Journey. I'm Autocar's news editor, Felix Page. Joining me as ever in the studio is Tomorrow's Journey's CEO, Chris Kirby. And today we're joined by Toby Poston, who is Director of Corporate Affairs at the BBRLA. And I knew I'd get it right first time, didn't I, Toby? <laughs> Toby, do you want to just talk a bit about uh, what you do to start off with and, uh, and the work of your organisation? Yes, yeah, so BVRLA, we are a, a standard trade body. Um, we represent the fleet and mobility services sector. So I like to think of us really as a combination of an insurance company and uh, an advocate or a PR agency. We're there to um, look after our members uh, from a reputational point of view, to be a voice to government, um, to sort of keep an eye on the key trends that are happening in the market. But we're also there to support them uh, across a range of areas, whether it's complying with new regulations, um, addressing sort of emerging consumer trends um, and looking after any other sort of uh, odds and sods that may come up uh, through time to time, whether it's dealing with changes in OEM behaviour or um, addressing other sorts of uh, things that may be going on. So a really mixed bag of things and just a huge amount going on, as you can imagine at the moment, across the automotive sector. So really fascinating time. Well, everything you've talked about has, uh, has been a recurring theme almost of this series so far. I think pretty much everything Toby's just mentioned is, is something we've referred to, right? Yeah, definitely. I think um, that's why it's really interesting having uh, having you in kind of almost midpoint in the, the podcast. We've covered quite a few areas from kind of bit Bev through to some changing business models and a bit of EV charging and, and those kind of challenges as well. So it's interesting to uh, kind of almost have a, a midpoint summary with you from that that kind of industry point of view. Uh, I think we're going to cut, touch on some of those those topics today. I think um, uh, Bev was probably a good good place to start. Obviously, a huge thing that's um, been impacting the market. I mean, I guess uh, positively, but not without its challenges in the in the last uh, couple of years uh, through supply and, and all of these other things. But uh, one of the things that we picked up on previously was talking about SMR and and kind of some of the challenges down the line, which are, maybe aren't necessarily seen on the forefront of the certainly not in the Daily Mail articles about um, EVs. Not yet. Uh, not, not yet. Um, but just in terms of some of that, uh, those SMR challenges, Toby, just give us a bit of a summary on some of the things that you're seeing from, from your side. Yeah, I guess SMR, if you like, is almost one of those sort of second generation issues that's just beginning to emerge um, and, and sort of hit home across, the, across our membership. If you like, the, the, first, the first step, which I think we've achieved, is to sort of get EVs being adopted at volume. And I guess now that that early fleet and the sort of next generation of vehicles are beginning to mature so you've got sort of fleets have now got two three four years worth of experience of operating in these vehicles and we're beginning to see some emerging um, data and some emerging sort of um, results in terms of SMR. Having said that I think there's still a lot of uncertainty so I know the, the our colleagues at the Association of Fleet Professionals are about to commission some research because they're still worried about some of the, the sort of mixed messages we're getting. Some people saying that SMR costs for EVs should be a lot lower. It's just a mm-hmm. basically a battery and a motor, a lot yep. fewer moving parts. And yet some people are saying they're not seeing that come through in, in the SMR rates they, they're quoted mm-hmm. or in the reality. And I think that's that's due to a combination of things. I think um, the, the context and the background to all of this is obviously massive inflation across the whole, the whole area of aftermarket we've seen. So across the board, whether you're an ICE vehicle or BEV vehicle, we've seen inflation in the, in the cost of parts, in the cost of uh, of employing people in terms of technicians, mm-hmm. um, rising energy costs. So that sort of background maybe is confusing people a bit. But um, I think overall, I think there is a growing consensus that 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 on a base level, the servicing of, of BEVs should be a bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. I think it varies between sort of the figures I've seen between sort of 
um, 70% of the cost of an ice for a Bev or maybe down to about 50%. But that's the basics of the labour rate, the amount of time spent on, on that vehicle. But of course then when you add in some of the, the, the particular parts that we know that maybe do have a, a higher wear rate on, on electric vehicles, things like tyres, things like brake pads. And again, I'm speaking on average, mm-hmm. there's individual differences. That can sometimes blow it and, and make costs a bit higher. So I'd say... Long term, I think it's good news, but again, I think that we've got to wash through the inflationary cost increases and some other sort of, uh, just I think as, as the fleet ages and we, we see more data, we'll get a better view. I'm, I'm almost surprised to hear that uh, 70% would be a, a feasible figure for, for maintenance compared to BEV compared to ICE, because we, we hear constantly that they shouldn't need anywhere near as much maintenance. They're using regenerative brakes all the time, no fluids to replace, notionally. Um, so it would shed some light on, on what that maintenance program might include and why those rates are, are maybe still, still... Yeah, there. so I'm not an expert. So they, I, we usually rely on sort of some of the uh, the organisations that are working with our members to sort of manage their aftermarket um, uh, costs uh, giving us this data. But typically, um, I think some of the reasons we've, we've had for why that isn't immediately flowing through is the fact that a lot of these these garages and these, these, uh, these uh, locations are having to, at the same time, uh, pay for a massive upgrade across all areas in terms of training technicians, new ramps, new diagnostic equipment, new tooling, and new charge points, which again, I think they're trying to feed through in some of their costs. And then typically also as well, they're, they're charging for labour maybe on an hourly rate. So if perhaps your 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 uh, your servicing of, a, of an ICE vehicle maybe takes two hours, mm-hmm. if it takes an hour and a half on a, on, a, on a BEV, you're still getting charged maybe for that two-hour period. So again, it's things like that that maybe are causing that slight discrepancy where maybe all the benefits aren't always apparent. Uh, but like I said, I think there's more detailed work going into it. I think people are sort of beginning to sort of, um, you know, hone in on some of the pricing, some of that investment cost is going to be absorbed. And I think we'll see more competition coming through as well. I think the long-term prognosis, obviously, is there's going to be less work going in, whether you're an, whether you're an independent or a franchised um, repair outlet, you're going to have less work long-term with, with BEVs. Um, and I think then we'll see a bit more competition on, on prices that feed. So at the moment, um, obviously there's, there's a sort of a, a bit of a we're seeing we're seeing the opposite. We're seeing that you know, there's, there's a shortage of capacity. Um, lead times for repairs are going up. So maybe that's not the ideal time for some of these cost things to, to flow through. Yeah, it may impact as well. I guess uh, over time, but I guess on a, a ice vehicle maintenance costs relatively low first two three years, and then they kind of ramp up. And I guess maybe with a a bed vehicle, um, as you mentioned, you know, tires, brake pads, some of these things that they might stay stable. So these kind of, I guess, that second stage uh, repairers that would have got lots of business from Campbell changes and all that stuff that kind of happens sixty thousand miles plus, but we're not really seeing that wash through either. I guess in some of these, yeah. uh, some of these aspects. So it definitely feels like it's really early days, and a little bit we're going to touch on probably uh, RVs. As well later on but that bit of just like not being enough data all of a sudden becoming yeah. mainstream everybody relying on 50 years of data on uh, ice vehicles and then just going okay right we've got three years here and the cars are changing all the time and i think i think um tires plays a big role as well i mean that's yeah. that was one of the things that definitely surprised me when i saw a couple of um i had a chat with a few few of these uh guys in the aftermarket the difference between uh the cost of a sort of a you know bigger rim electric vehicle tire compared to a smaller rim you know petrol diesel i think the average Comparing the same size is about forty percent difference in in cost for an yeah. EV tire and a and a um an ice vehicle tire, but also obviously the wear rate on those vehicles again is 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 higher. I think mm-hmm. again the figure I saw was about twenty five percent increased yeah. wear on an electric vehicle because of the weight because they're about fifty mm-hmm. percent more heavier. 
Um, and of course that, again, especially if you've got a bev that's doing higher mileages, that's gonna, you only need to sort of double the amount of tire replacements over mm-hmm. a three year contract. And if those tires are, are sort of a lot more expensive anyway, that really adds to that, that mm-hmm. SMR cost. That really counteracts some of the, the, other, the other benefits yeah. in that kind of- Punctures yeah, are more likely as well, for example, yeah. on, a, on, a, on a heavier bev. Yeah, interesting. And I, and I guess just thinking about that three-year lifespan that, that you've mentioned, quite a lot of people who are taking um, BEV vehicles now are kind of doing through salary sacrifice type schemes and more people taking them on subscriptions and uh, personal leases. So that leads back into the maintenance then being, or those SMR costs being part of the leasing company or finance company's responsibility where uh, with either PCP or a kind of outright purchase stuff previously, was less of an issue or was kind of more in the hands of the private individual where it, the, the, you know, the, the peaks and troughs were kind of less obvious. But if you've got, I guess, a, a doubling probably every six months um, Bev fleet as a leasing company, the, the difference in this pricing or how you predict the pricing is going to be super yeah, important. Yeah, and, and I know for a fact that, you know, a lot of the vehicles being sold now, I once heard this from a, from a, a chap at Thatcham um, saying that the pace of new vehicles coming out now is such that a lot, of, a lot of manufacturers are, are making and selling new vehicles that they don't know how to repair. Yeah. There's certain elements of the technology so new, it's hitting the market so quickly um, that they don't know fully how those vehicles are going to be repaired. And I think there's a certain, a certain element of that uncertainty and that risk being priced in maybe to SMR, yeah. where maybe they've had their fingers burned because a certain repair has just taken a lot longer, mm-hmm. been a lot more expensive than they thought from previous models or previous experience in the ICE market. Mm-hmm. And they're just having to again, be a bit more cautious on that, as they probably were in the early days with, with RVs. Compounded further, I imagine, by inflationary pressures at the yeah, moment, it, supply difficulties. Exactly. Is this all behind that sort of lack of clarity as well, do you think? I just think it's a perfect storm of, un, of uncertainty. You know, as I said, whether it's energy costs, labour rates, parts, supply as well as cost, um, it's just really hard to sort of um, uh, nail down your, 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 your full sort of uh, risk and cost uh, over that period. Um, due to the, the speed at which the industry is working and, and the, the outside economic and, and sort of uh, raw materials costs and things like that. It's just, it's just, it's just amazingly uncertain. Mm. And definitely a thing to kind of get the industry need, also needs to get a handle on and you know, things you mentioned at the start in terms of the research that's happening and the work that you guys are doing because it's also is one of the big selling points for people to convert to better right? I can't count the number of times I've said to people, oh yeah, but it's, I know it's, it's this much per month, but you know, think... It's only a motor and batteries, you know, no. but actually you need that to filter through into the, the kind of reality of it, which if it's not quite there, that, that might be a thing of uh, certain people switching back. It's kind of, a, it's a, the barrier comes back up again or even kind of temporarily. Yeah, and, right? and, and, and um, that, to be honest, is, is, is going to be a continued problem. It's one of the reasons we're, we're pretty worried about the imbalance between the, the fleet um, BEV market where you've got incentives and you've got um, uh, companies like leasing companies and subscription companies who are taking the risk of the long-term you know cost of maintenance or the, or the residual value of that vehicle yeah. and the retail market whether it's used or new where it's still you know quite often the the uh, the, the, the consumer yeah uh, and, and they just it really is a, that uncertainty is again hindering and and the sort of hype you see in the Daily Mail and Telegraph mm-hmm. and other outlets that is really hindering that market and that imbalance is just not not uh, not healthy at all yeah and challenging and I think particularly in that space we mentioned that salary sacrifice and those types of areas it's a it's an easy way for people to jump into it but that um that gap or that kind of support is i guess it's not direct support anymore but the kind of pseudo um tax benefit of doing it will start to close and as that closes these benefits need to counteract the the imbalance the the contrast is is really scary we we did some analysis for one of our recent reports so 
percentage of, of BEVs going on to the salary sacrifice fee is now 92%. So 92% of sales sat cars hitting the market yeah. in the first quarter of this year were BEV. If you compare that to the, the retail market, it's about 16%. Mm, if you compare yeah. it to the used market, it's at 1%. Right. And that's just not healthy. That, that sort yeah, of... yeah. What, are, what are the implications uh, based on that data? What, what, what is unhealthy about that? Well, for us, the, the thing that underpins it is, is, the, is the used market, right? So you've got, you know, around 2 million, maybe a bit under at the moment, new cars sold this year, but about 7 million used. And that's still a tremendous amount of money involved in that used market mm-hmm. um, that plays a key role in sort of maintaining the residual values. It's what the, the initial lease rate is, is set on. And our fear is that if we get, you know, companies are used to having peaks and troughs when, you know, used values are doing strong, uh, are strong, sorry, and other periods when they're, when they're weak and other times when they're sort of somewhere in between. Our fear is that the, the, the fall in used values we've seen over the last year is not going to be a, a, a sort of peak and trough scenario, that we're, we're, we're basically heading for a prolonged, basically a, a, a supply-demand imbalance that is just a systemic failure. This is really interesting. We, we ran a story, also called Business, a couple of weeks ago, uh, about the implications of fleet dumping, we called it. You know, We're coming to the end of that first electric vehicle lease cycle now. The first generation of EVs are coming off lease, I think, in, in big numbers. Uh, and that's going to have huge implications, right, for, for used residual values? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I don't think you're going to see fleets dump. They, they can't afford to dump, basically. And I think that's what we've seen in recent months is uh, they're working really hard. Either they're holding vehicles back, saying we're not going to send them to auction, we're not going to put them into this market and take that sort of hit. It's just not, it's not, it's not feasible. So they may be delaying things or they're working really hard to find other sources. So we're seeing some really good innovation um, across the market in terms of used vehicle leasing. Uh, one of our members recently, um, uh, Octopus, I think it was, launched a, a used vehicle salary sacrifice where, again, they know there's a big demand in salary sacrifice. They're going to reach a whole new demographic with even more affordable used vehicles, mm-hmm. again, to the points about maintenance yeah. costs. And, that you know, we know battery life's now pretty much guaranteed for 100,000 miles yeah. with warranty-wise, so that why wouldn't you lease them for another three years? And that this needs to happen. Um because again, quoting uh, Auto Trade, I think their recent uh, health index said that you know it, it, the supply of used electric vehicles coming to market is up three hundred percent year on year, but demand is good, but it's only up forty five percent. And again, that's only to your point, Felix. It's going to get it's going to increase because we know this is ever increasing wave of, of used electric vehicles coming into the market. So do we face a, a bottleneck between you know supply and demand. These cars aren't going anywhere, but the cars are arriving yeah, to replace them in a Absolutely. So yeah. what, what do you think could happen? Um, I think, well, I, I, what could happen at the moment is you, you see that, that growing imbalance. So there's a few uncertain pieces here. Um, I'd like to think our members are going to embrace that used vehicle leasing uh, uh, potential and, and really uh, push on with that market. That's got the potential to take some of that, that sort of release some of that bottleneck, but it's a difficult market to work in. You know, it's very easy to set the price of a new new car on a lease because they're all exactly the same. For a used vehicle, um, they're not all the same. Every car is in a different status, different condition. There's still uncertainty about long-term maintenance costs, things like that. So it's, it's a tough one. It's a more risky one, but I think there's, there's potential there. It's good to see some members uh, embracing it. Um, and then I think government needs to seriously look at some sort of incentivization um, or some sort of intervention in the market to sort of maybe um, support uh, used vehicle, uh, used BEV uh, purchases, whether it's um, some sort of tax relief. Um, I know in France they have this sort of social leasing scheme where they're giving grants to uh, uh, 
people in the lower demographic areas to sort of encourage them to take electric vehicles. Um, I'm hopeful that relatively soon we'll see energy prices lowering. Mm-hmm. Um, if charging prices can come down at the moment, big fear we've got is just public charging is is typically at the moment about 30% more expensive than than petrol or diesel, yeah. which is just ridiculous. It's, it's yeah, crazy, yeah. but that's because energy prices are where they are. Um, and the cost of grid connections and the time involved is just it's just ridiculous. So that needs to um, that needs to come down. Um, so yeah, I think we need changes in the in the economic environment. Um, we need uh, potentially government looking at it, um, and we need some innovation. I think the, the the kind of the second live thing is really interesting. It's something that I think actually will be. Uh, we first spoke about the the podcast a few months ago, and we were talking about it. And we had been approached by a couple of people about in that area about kind of put giving um, the used vehicles a second life rather than kind of dropping them all into the to the market. And it's definitely a thing that I think that we see as a, a trend longer term about vehicles staying on balance sheets longer, and being used more than once. You know, this idea of kind of buy lease for three years, bin it into the market may change. Um, I know we've got this kind of. Uh, really focused on kind of perfect storm as you said scenario of lots of different things pulling on it but definitely think that the innovation that that will cause uh, now will kind of benefit the industry in the long run because i still think that having a channel to be able to say right let's take some of our best vehicles or some of slightly quirky vehicles and keep them rolling definitely becomes a good good option um but you can definitely see how that's kind of salary sacrifice into used car cost can if they're coming in at salary sacrifice and effectively people are getting 40% off and then they arrive as a used car, you don't get the 40% off. So the pricing becomes really interesting. So yeah, that's second life salary sacrifice and kind of subscription stuff is really, really fascinating. But it'd be interesting to see if that becomes a thing at real scale, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it's it's talked about a lot. Um, I know members are looking, our, our industry is looking at it a lot. Um, but it's difficult. So again, um, I think salary sacrifice is, is a key market because there's a lot of excitement um, a lot of interest in that area. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful they will. But again, <clears throat> it's a it's a small market, right? Maybe yeah. seventy to hundred thousand salary sacrifice vehicles out there. Mm. Um, but you look at the amount of electric vehicles out there. You know, it's it's, it's getting near to two hundred thousand mm-hmm. um, with with tens of thousands, probably even over a hundred thousand hitting the market this year. Yeah. yeah. So um, it needs to move move quickly. This is a, this is a big big issue. Fleet is fleet is accounted for well over half of these electric vehicles that are at the moment. Isn't oh, it? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so, it, it, you've seen the fleet share of um, of SMMT new registrations mm-hmm. has surged this year as suppliers come back in, into the market. You mentioned innovation a minute ago. I'm, I'm keen to understand a bit more about what innovation might look like in this sphere. Who's innovating at the moment? What what would you be excited to see? Um, I think you're you're seeing innovation across the piece. So you're seeing innovation with um, big and large, uh, sorry, large and small leasing companies. We know that a lot of the the captive OEM companies are recognising. <clears throat> Excuse me. That this is the this is the future as well. That this sort of usership approach uh, needs to happen. Um, my fear is that just the um, the cost of doing it, uh, the risk involved, is going to sort of be a bit of a limiting limiting factor. Mm-hmm. That um, you're going to need big pockets and big risk appetite. Well, um, someone's got to jump first, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, to do this. Um, so uh, I, you know, I wouldn't like to pick winners at the moment. Um, but it's good to see that a lot of people are uh, approaching this and looking at it and recognising that this is the this is the way forward. Bit of a big swing as well. We we found again in, in talking to companies in this space maybe eighteen months ago, lots of people going right. We really want to innovate with with EVs, but we can't get the supply. And then now the supply's here, but the swings back to like oh now it's become a massive risk. You know, it's got an interesting thing that there wasn't much time in the middle where there was a sweet spot for 
now's a really good time to innovate. Yeah, it was a good time to innovate 18 months ago where you couldn't get the cars. So the investment was was good to do, but you couldn't validate it. And then all of a sudden the cars arrive and everyone goes, oh, my, well, not, how do we predict the residuals? How yeah. do we manage it? Um, so yeah, it does take a, a brave um, business to really kind of put all their Longer eggs term, in the I, yeah. I could see it, an interesting um, scenario developing. I, I was at a, a conference earlier on this summer when they were talking about the the growing imperative for OEMs to sort of introduce these sort of uh, recycling across their whole supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. So that they can really demonstrate that the, the vehicles they're manufacturing are 100% or near 100% recyclable, including the batteries. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's going back into sort of a, a 360 holistic sort of supply chain scenario. And the way they were talking, um, you could imagine a, 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 a future where actually OEMs are going to be increasingly... Um, desperate to keep hold of those vehicles in second life and in third life and actually maintain access to those when they get the end of their life after mm-hmm. 10, 12, 14 years and get recycled. Yeah, Could yeah. that actually make it more difficult for innovators, for independent companies to come along and actually provide those sorts of... There, there are two examples, I think. One is Toyota, which has said that it wants to start remanufacturing vehicles at its UK factory. So it, it envisions a world where it's still in control, basically, yeah. of the of the vehicle fleet at 10 years old, 12 years old perhaps. And uh, Stellantis has said recently that people should be keeping their cars for up to 15 years. And this is, it feels like the exact opposite way of thinking to what we've become accustomed to over the last 10 years. And yeah. a lot of, this is doubly interesting because we've heard from from five startups basically in this mm. sphere and their very innovative approach to it. And this is how the legacy companies need to approach it. Um, so, so is it two schools of thinking or do you think it all unites? That that I I honestly couldn't call Get it the that crystal one. ball out. Yeah. Yeah. I I um I don't know. And again, it's all I've seen a lot of companies have long term visions, particularly OEMs, about the way things are going. You know, with agency model is the future, or you know, we're not going to supply cars into these markets anymore. Or we're going you know high end, um, and then it doesn't take a mu- much economic reality or changes in co- consumer behaviour. Um, they're the real things that impact impact um, or change the people at the top of that organization mm-hmm. so um i i, I know I, I think there'll always be space for for nimble innovators for people who are coming in and can spot a niche who've just got that capacity to sort of react to consumer yeah. demand i mean oems are like oil tankers right even though they're yeah, they set a course but they're, they're very difficult to change course or or move in, in a sort of quick way you're talking years um rather than sort of uh months or even decades rather than, than uh, a, a single number of years yeah, it, does, it gets a bit um, challenging at kind of a, a macro level as well because uh, OEMs by, by nature are manufacturers, right? They have factories that produce cars and their game is to produce the cars most efficiently and then get them paid for. I mean, it's why the, the dealer system works so well for them. If the vehicle leaves the gate, they get paid by the dealer. That's kind of the cash in the bank. So the idea of kind of the remanufacturing, I mean, we probably a conversation we had years ago, Toby, you were talking about autonomous vehicles almost becoming like Trigger's broom, the the bit of goats that it's the same car, but it's not because it's had the parts just replaced over and over again. And, and BEV vehicles have a much better opportunity to do that. You change the battery, you change the motors, you change the wheels, you upgrade the interior. It kind of can become 
fully recyclable, but that doesn't really fit a model where you've got factories producing cars and that's how yeah. you make your money, right? So that's always the thing where I think that that, that is definitely the way it should go, but whether the market will almost like allow it to yeah, happen, no, it kind I, of seems I, a bit odd. But then if someone comes in, smaller manufacturers, people come in and do that and suddenly can dominate, it might force people to, to change. Yeah, it, and I, I do struggle with the idea of a massive change in the the um, the typical ownership period of, of, of a car. I, mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, for a huge for the current generation of, of, of drivers out there, particularly people sort of under my age, you know, who are finding it increasingly hard to ever get their head around the idea of owning a house, mm. the only mm. thing really they're going to have a, the next best thing really they're going to have a chance to sort of own or at least use that defines their personality or maybe their, their who they are is, is a car, right? Mm. And I think um, they're going to want to maybe change that and upgrade that and, and, and having a sort of a, owning a vehicle for 10, 15 years maybe is not what they, you know, um, want to want to do they want to be able to move with the times and demonstrate that they're adopting new technology embracing a different type of vehicle to go with their time of life where they've got kids or dog or move to the country mm. um so i think that's gonna yeah I, I can't see that model where the stellantis view of you know someone buys a car and they're locked in for 15 years is, is gonna well the stellantis view is is tied up with the notion that we need to be making better use of resources especially finite resources we need to be having uh, manufacturing needs to be having less impact on the environment. And it's interesting because you're right, people do want to change constantly. I mean, every established business model revolves around people wanting the new yeah. thing, basically. Um, and so you're quite right. It, how how do you persuade people that it's it's better if you stay in that car for 12 years and after three you can come back in and have new seats? And uh, it's interesting. It'll be really interesting to see how that pans The out. bit that kind of blurs as well, though, with the business model is I think that it doesn't necessarily have to be the same person that owns it for, for 15 years, all right? So you go the, the, this bit about the second, third, fourth life. Um, if the owner is the leasing company or the the, the balance sheet, let's call it, you know, whoever's got that balance sheet, um, then it can have multiple owners in that time. And also with the way that vehicles are now, you could refresh them. Like, you, you know, vehicles three years, it comes back, it gets the bits changed, right? Battery's fine, change this motor, but also upgrade the infotainment to the late, I mean, we're getting over the air software yeah. updates, but you upgrade it to the latest version. I mean, even a thing that you know, me and some of the guys have theorized about over mostly over a beer, not in a real practical sense, but you know, you can imagine big factory, big reconditioning factories with 3D printers and stuff. So like you don't even need to ship parts from the factory, you just go, right, well, this is going to have the latest trim inside, right? Well, we've got these five coming in, they just get printed on these big 3D printing things and get put in. And really, you've just got batteries, motors, wheels, and tires, and they just get, get refreshed. So, uh, it was one of those things that really interesting concept that really could happen but it's just so like anti what yeah. what we have today in the market right so it's, it's you're really right. fascinating you, you, you see stage. that a lot with sort of high-end uh range rovers or porsches where you get these yeah. you know people like over finch who come yeah. in and sort of you know add a certain amount of, of flair or, or or you know add a few horsepower to it to a vehicle or a certain other type of uh capability but you're not seeing that in terms of the electric vehicle market i don't know no. whether that's because they they think it's something that's mainly aimed at petrol heads or people like the Uber luxury mm. vehicles, but yeah, that'd be interesting to see. It whether could you, start to happen, yeah. for sure, as, as they start to go and people buying you know, a five year old Tesla, but they're getting it um, customized to their specification. Yeah. It gets refurbed, you know, relatively quickly, turned around, gets some new stuff in. You go, well, I'll have the the red dash printed, and I'll get the seats changed, and mm-hmm. I'll get the you know, X Y Z infotainment, and I'll get the so and so power pack attached to it, and then you take that car off the shelf. And it's, well, uh, I wonder if in a way it makes residuals easier to work out because there's when you go to buy a new car now most manufacturers are only doing two or three trim levels and you can choose the paint color from one of four shades of gray 
you can choose the seat material and then be on your way. Maybe the size of your entertainment screen. But effectively, that combined with the relatively simple maintenance cycle, I wonder if that might make for more uniformity over over a residual cycle. Yeah. So again, it's it's a it's a it's a question of you're dead right in terms of specifications, which used to be a real difficulty. You know, because we used to see some real one point three LX gear. Yeah, <laughs> you'd see some amazing differences between certain specifications that was really tough to to you know keep keep track of. It's probably why they're sort of you know, the cap guides used to be so such massive doorsteps when they, when you whenever you bought the uh the, the printed version. But so that's that's a benefit, that's a good thing. But on the other side, I guess what people are worried about is is um the the, the speed of technolog- technological change, right? Where we've got battery ranges improving. Uh, and that's probably the main area I think where people are worried that just um battery ranges you've got cost reducing. Mm-hmm. Um and you've just got new technology, whether it's you know it's it's lithium ion moving to maybe you know solid state batteries or or other other new technologies, where you've just got this constant beta max VHS sort of scenario every couple mm-hmm. of years, and I think people are just scared of of uh, being sort of stuck with a with a, with a load of what's considered old yeah. old technology, yeah. and they're not old enough yet where they're considered classics. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, definitely fascinating. I think that that's happening very very quickly in the the web space it feels like it it's kind of settling down it feels like technologically for things like range and stuff you kind of not reached its its peak but it's kind of reached a but that but that's the problem is the vehicles that are three years old coming off the um off the leases weren't at that stage yeah that so that's uh yeah definitely creates a bit of a bit of a challenge uh, we've touched a bit on some of the the business models type you just want to change in tax slightly but we just, it's interesting it's come into these conversations but um how are you guys seeing kind of the rise of subscription and some of the more flexible um, mobility type models happening within your kind of membership base how are you kind of seeing that emerging over the last couple of years one of the one of the problems in our role is that um we don't get a great view of it because it's it's sort of the cutting edge of where competition innovation's happening uh, member, our members uh, don't tend to talk to us a lot about it because when we tend to talk to them, a lot of the time we're in we're in we're in a sort of a, a big group, and they're not sticking up their hands. So I've got this really good idea that's going great guns, and we're seeing you know twenty yeah. percent increase month on month. Um, so we don't hear a lot about it. Yeah. Quite often we're we're one of the last to hear about it till things are going wrong or till you know they're willing to sort of do it do a do a case study. What I would say is um, subscription has really taken off unsurprisingly in the in the bev space because mm-hmm. i think there you've got that perfect alignment of um of uncertainty really from the consumer where subscription really provides that that sort of sweet spot of flexibility and and sort of uh, risk abating you know mm-hmm. where companies like onto and others um have come in and just done a really good job of packaging up the vehicle the charge point the uh the the, the fuel card um the insurance in a way that's really um helped uh, people make that make that leap, take that risk mm-hmm. to sort of changing changing technology, and they've done it. I don't know how they've done it because again, they don't talk to us about commercial, but they've done it a really in a really affordable, cost competitive way, which mm-hmm. which we weren't seeing when it was when it was ice vehicles. I have to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah, yeah, totally. When I was watching the subscription ice market, the standard one was it, it it it's fine for some people, but if you really do any sort of investigation online about comparing 
and monthly lease yeah. rate and the cost, it just doesn't add up. It wasn't a viable alternative unless you absolutely needed the flexibility, i.e. Yeah. like you weren't able to commit more than like a couple of months. Whereas now it feels like it's a longer term alternative, but it gives people the flexibility, particularly on Bev, to get on and get used to it. And is it yeah. the way? I've heard lots of people talking about having taken them on leases and then gone, oh, I've basically I've got the wrong one. Don't mm. have enough range, got too much range, too big, too yeah. small, like all that stuff. You I, mean, need to figure I guess out. the other interesting thing I've seen is, is the way that it's being approached from both, uh, we represent two sort of ends of the market really. We represent the, the leasing sector, which is typically, you know, long-term hire, three, four years. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then the, the rental car club sector, which is everything from an hour for, to a daily rental. Yeah. But they're both embracing subscription. Mm-hmm. Leasing companies typically call it subscription yeah. rental companies will call it may call it subscription but quite often they'll call it something like flexi rent or mm-hmm. long-term rent or things like that mm-hmm. so um again there's a there's a bit of not confusion over the name but um it's it's not an it's if you like subscription is not a um distinct definition yeah. there's no regulatory definition of it it's something that the we know the treasury and the the uh regulators are looking into about whether it needs to be more closely defined yeah. so there's plenty of space there for people to innovate and try different things, which I think is good. Yeah. But at least again, a bit of uncertainty around. You know, you could probably end up with certain parts of the, of the subscription market that are doing well, mm-hmm. and other bits that aren't. It's because they're quite different products. You know, it's yeah. not a well-defined product. Uh, definitely early days as well. I was just going to say. I mean, we, we definitely talk about it being in that um, element of uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, lots of people have heard my, my team always roll their eyes at me, but like the the burger analogy that I've talked about and I've talked about in this podcast. But you know, it's like. You can have a Big Mac and you can have a gourmet burger and they're still burgers, but they're like totally different, both in what they're made of, what yeah. they taste like, but also the experience. But yeah. You get a Big Mac, it's really quick. You come in yeah. and things. Yeah. So uh, that's definitely the case that we're seeing. And subscription almost in a way is probably a, a harmful thing. It doesn't really mean a lot to a consumer. And in the industry, it means a lot to you, depending on your mm. opinion of it. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? The opportunities that it's opened up, not just for the consumer, but for the, for the OEM, for, mm-hmm. the, for the leasing company as well. We've talked before about how if you have a, an SUV for your for your weekends where you go out and see the, the parents with the kids and the dog and everything, and then in the week I only need a small car to get to the station and back, or I can make do with a little tiny electric Citroen Ami or something. We're seeing the emergence of that possibility where you can flip between the two as you like. Your friend can borrow your car at the weekend very easily, the key's on their phone. Um, and so I think as we see these new business models emerge, we're seeing customer use cases evolve as well, and it's really interesting to yeah. see how both are sort of evolving. Well, that that, that that if you like was the original definite. That was the mm-hmm. original image that most people thought of when they thought of subscription. Mm-hmm. Right? And that 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 was. I remember hearing about that that idealized model five or six years ago, and I still don't think that re- that model has really no. taken off. And I, I think the key to that is probably when we get uh, dealerships embracing it, when we get OEM the franchise dealer networks sort of turning into those mobility hubs. Mm-hmm. I think at the moment it's still too difficult because quite often you have to have the vehicle delivered to someone and then yeah. just the whole logistics around getting that swap involved is just too expensive again to yeah. to Chris's point unless you've you've got the money to to, to, to put behind yeah. it and it's that important to you then I think it can work but I, most subscription I see is, is growing is more about the the, the Bev the Bev side um, rather than the sort of you know I fancy a, a yeah, convertible yeah, this yeah. weekend or I need a, an SUV yeah. or it needs its critical mass, and like you say, it's either mobility hubs or just such a critical mass that the pick up and drop off. We've been working quite closely with a big um, vehicle logistics provider in this space, not actually on their own product, but in how they kind of service it. And you could see, talking to them, that that you could do the pick up and drop off, not changing a car every weekend, but going, all right, I need a second car because my you know, brother's over from India for a month. If you've got enough scale, the 
putting them on a transporter and dropping them and picking up as you go is, mm. is fine. But if you've only got a fleet of a thousand and there's 50 changes to do in a week nationally, it doesn't really I mean, make a lot of sense. I mean, I, I think the rental industry is a good analogy here where, you know, that that's an industry that has mastered peak utilisation and has, mm. you know, millions of customers. And the difficulty, they, they, even they can't promise you when you, when you book a car, uh, the exact car, they give you sort of a broad range of, you know, a... a, a mm. Uh, a city car or, or a compact or you know um, and they, they struggle a lot during peak times into, because you know basically journeys are not you know always predictable people's usage of vehicles and when they need them isn't is not easy so I think that's a good analogy of how just how tough it is mm. that they don't offer you know if you ask for a certain they, they can't promise it mm-hmm. I've been to rental branches where they've you know I've ordered a certain size and I've had to, had to take a different one because the person before has returned it late um, or because the vehicle was damaged or because of other, you know, other reasons. So it is a, it's very difficult, um, very difficult to do. It, definitely an evolving piece, and technology has a, a role to, to play. And I think it was interesting, just going back on an earlier point you made as well, about your members not really um, kind of t- talking too much about this stuff. I, I was challenged a, a couple of weeks ago by someone saying, oh, you know, subscription, you know, it's not really taking off, is it? You know, we've seen lots of OEMs. But, and basically the information they were giving me was this kind of subscription story from like three years ago. Yeah. And my point to them was, well, no, actually... It is growing pretty rapidly, but the people who are growing it are too busy growing it to tell you about exactly. it. So the stories that you're hearing are from the people, well, you know, we tried to launch this thing five years ago. We did it for two years, it didn't make any money, so we closed it down. The people that are actually smashing it are busy, like actually growing things really quick. So yeah. we are seeing some of that, um, but definitely in pockets. Bev is one, um, high end is the other. So where yeah. price is less important and the flexibility is is worth paying for. Um, you know, are you going to pay a 20% premium on your Ford Fiesta um, ICE vehicle probably not are you going to pay a 20% premium on your Range Rover that was going to cost you two grand a month anyway yeah maybe yes. like that's it. so we're finding these kind of pockets that are growing faster than other bits of the market so yeah I definitely think there's a bit of a, a hidden story happening in the space yeah for sure yeah absolutely and again I, th- I think you'll see um, you'll see OEMs come into that market as well for the reasons yeah. we discussed about getting you know more control over that vehicle life cycle yeah. uh, and again that will that will um Help those those sort of niche areas grow as well. Yeah, it does present challenges in that, and again, it's a great, kind of a slight tangent, and something that has come up in previous episodes we've talked about. Because I think the the OEMs have a huge role to play. But back to kind of when you understand that the OEM business model, this idea of it, it ships from the factory and then it, someone pays for it. OEMs don't hold vehicles on their balance sheet. Their finance companies do, but they're separate entities, and often they don't have an owned um, finance company. So it definitely makes sense for them to do it but probably not as easy as it initially seems because typically their vehicles are going out via a leasing company or via a finance company or rental business um so i think yeah it's not quite as easy for them to go oh let's just not get paid for these vehicles when they get shipped from the the factory so be interesting to see how that how that evolves and whether they can react in that space quickly enough and all the logistics stuff and all those things which are all i think i think that's changing i think that's been changing for a while again it's not 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 with every manufacturer but certainly with a lot of them now they realise that that's where the the real margin is mm-hmm. going forward is is the financing and the sort of yeah, control yeah. of that whole whole life of that vehicle, yeah. just the actual one sale of that that piece of metal, if you like. The margins are still really under pressure, and they're going to increasingly be under pressure. I know they've been doing quite well in recent yeah. years, but I think the, the the competition coming from China and other other uh, other um, markets, uh, manufacturing areas, is going to increasingly put pressure on them to sort of, if you like, move move out along that sort of. Um, uh, supply in terms yeah. of that sort of uh, vertical op- potential to go into leasing, rental, uh, car club, subscription, 
Yeah. Um, and and, then, you and know, better opportunities under agency yeah. model and stuff as well, where there's more, where there is more control over that supply chain. I de definitely think it's a huge opportunity, and it's, it'd be interesting in the next um, 12, 18 months to see which manufacturers kind of push into that area and which don't. I think it will be a distinct thing. I don't think that you can kind of dabble in both. I think if you're going to go down that route, you kind of look more agency, more direct sale, more um, ownership of the vehicle yourself. And then there's the other bit that will go, okay, we want to double down yeah. on the existing model and, uh, and look at that. So yeah. I think that would be an interesting change. Um, one of the things that also we've just br briefly touched on but wanted to talk about today was about regulation. And I know it's a really um, early thing in, in the process, but this idea of kind of subscriptions in this little bit of a gray area, but kind of between rental and leasing and some of it is consumer facing and how do you manage that? I mean, there's there's always the challenge around the, the PCH bit, PCH falling into a world of PCP and regulated differently. Mm. But then it's a kind of subscription is almost like an extra layer on that. But um, kind of how, how do you see that that playing out? I know it's too early to be talking about what the regulation should be and how it works, but you know, it's yeah. clearly a big, big area for the next you know, oh, it's a, few years. It's a, it's a massive area. And, and you know, it's it's an unprecedented amount of change, really. And, it, and it's, it's welcomed. I think the two key areas you write, We've got a we've got a here and now change that's happening this year with the new consumer duty mm -hmm. regulation, which is um, probably doesn't get in the consumer press at least the sort of the, the sort of recognition it, it should really in terms of how it's changing completely the the landscape for for, for selling selling and leasing and uh, uh, vehicles. In that the basic the regulator is saying that we're we're moving from this sort of tick box approach to to um, consumer regulation where you know as long as you've got the right things on your your contracts or on your website you're you're, you're clear mm -hmm. to one where they're now saying that the approach is, is going to be one of well you need to demonstrate that your customers are happy you know um, you need to show us that you're continually communicating with your customers and you're getting the feedback and can demonstrate that you're having a good outcome you know good outcome is such a vague why statement that, why does that need to be regulated shouldn't the consumer decide that that's that that's fine, and then demand rises or falls for that brand. Well, and yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing that anyway with the with the with the emergence of these peer review sites. Again, they're playing a massive role now. Mm -hmm. But I think the FCA understands that that's the that's the regulator for consumer finance in the in the UK. That you know that's that's probably not enough on its own. That there's a there's a whole area of, of sort of alignment they want to do. So that we're seeing more alignment with both you know financial investments for mortgages, banking, credit cards, and motor finance with this whole idea that actually. There's a responsibility there. Yes, there's a responsibility on the consumer to go in with eyes open, reading the small print, but also one in which um, uh, the finance provider needs to be with them the whole way through that product, not just until they've signed the contract or or tick the box. And that's 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 the big change that's coming this year, and we think that's that's only only good. Um, but the longer term one is where they're sort of reacting to the the pace of change, where you've got this uh, that the consumer credit act, which is sort of 40 years old. Which you know just not really coping with the the digital age, the age of subscriptions, um, and so government sort of scratching its head, trying to again come up with an approach there that sort of maybe takes things away from being um, sort of written in law, where you know this is the sort of language you have to use when you send a a a, a letter out to someone who's who's uh, uh, in uh, late paying their 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 rental for their for their vehicle, or is it always um not meeting the terms, mm -hmm. to, to a more flexible one um, that understands new, that can be used across new modes of, of, of finance that is more um, capable of meeting the, the, the innovation that we're seeing in the market. And again, that's the, the, the challenge where subscription is such a vague, not vague, but a, a poorly defined product where we're having to work with regulators to sort of ensure they understand what it's about 
but also that we don't get too much regulation because on one level you could see regulation coming in for an expensive um, uh, lease product or, or subscription uh, might be perfectly justifiable in some circumstances but we have to remember that rental exists in sort of a multi-year format mm-hmm. and, a, and a by the hour format you know if you're if you're having should you be regulated when you're offering a bit when you're renting a vehicle out for an hour should you mm-hmm. have to sign loads of forms mm-hmm. be regulated by the fca you know do mystery shop all, all that sort of stuff um at the same level of sort of uh, regulation burden there as when you're renting out a, a vehicle for for three years mm-hmm. uh, you know it's getting the balance right and i think that's the world where you know if your phone's out of battery so your payment doesn't go through instantly for the hour and yeah. you just had you get an official letter through the door <laughs> or yeah or you're trying to sort of rent a car club car and, yeah. and you know and you're, you're getting credit checked and you're yeah. getting you know yeah. sorry can i just yeah. go through the security procedures yeah, affordability yeah yeah yeah. 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 yeah yeah i think there's a real risk of um uh, kind of both sides really on the the regulatory front from what we see is that actually i think subscription should always be that kind of burger analogy it should all it should have some room to be different for different people and the, the danger i guess if you regulate it really tightly it becomes a defined thing but then you can only operate in a defined area um, but there are also kind of new consumer risks in in that space about uh how much you pay up front what's what's refundable what isn't refundable what's included what isn't included and we see different examples of it of some of our customers put lots of information up front we see some competitors in the market we also see stuff in different markets as well where information's provided yeah. differently and the vehicles changing at different times so. again but we've had some really detailed chats with Treasury, and i think a lot of the lot of the concern has come around with some of these digital subscription products particularly you know things late at night when you're mm-hmm. scrolling through your phone and you yeah you don't even know you subscribe to this this app yeah. or this this uh newsletter or this 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 uh bit of content and before you know it you know um i even get it now on my phone i get a thing that renews annually mm-hmm. i'm thinking i haven't used that for three years how do i <laughs> even turn it off yeah, yeah. you know with the, that's not going to happen with a car yeah right? you're not going to yeah. suddenly walk out of your door one morning thinking well Oh, crikey, I forgot I had that car. You know, I've been paying that for, that <laughs> for two years. And and I, I can't count. So, yeah, you would, I like to think you'd realise that yeah, and you yeah. would do something about it. So again, it's, it's, it's getting a proportionate approach um, to, to the regulation that doesn't sort of uh, hinder innovation and again, doesn't hit people who, who otherwise, you know, it's going to stop them getting access to, um, to those sorts of benefits of, of affordable pay-as-you-go uh, electric motoring. Yeah, and the, the flexibility is a, is a really good thing from a consumer point of view and and that um i guess alleviates a lot of the the stress i guess from a regulatory point of view in that if if you find you're in a situation the product isn't what you think it is you can return it in that period but then the it's the regulating the bit about you know how much do you pay up front what do you get back and what is your actual flexibility oh it's only 300 pounds a month and you go oh it's subscription so I'm assuming that means it's flexible, but there's something in the small print that mm-hmm. says you're committed for 12 yeah. months. And yeah, those types of things, I think, are the areas where they're, they're kind of the fringe cases, but they're the bits that and need to be And there's a balance, because again, yeah. again, this this comes back to sometimes the difference between PCH and PCP, that typically PCH, uh, you know, the, the, if you like the rental product mm-hmm. as opposed to the credit product, is typically a bit cheaper yeah. because some of the protections around the ability to hand the car back is, yeah. is stronger with a PCP, yeah. but you'll pay more for that. So yeah. again, it's, it's, you know, consumers, just like if I go and rent a car, mm-hmm. I might take the approach that I want it the cheapest possible rental, but I've got more risk in terms of if I damage that vehicle, I'm paying yep. the full whack of the, the cost of repairing it. Mm. Or I might go and pay a bit more knowing that I can literally almost write it off and I won't, I won't have to pay any extra. So again, yeah. it's always this, this thing about, you know, you've got to think of the view of the consumer, their approach to risk, mm-hmm. what they can afford as well. 
It's making sure that they know it, isn't it? That's the thing we, we see a lot in our products about, although subscription is this kind of flexible month by month thing, typically we do see some of our customers are saying, well, if you take it for three months, six months, 12 months, we'll give you a better deal because obviously that helps their utilization. Um, but it's making sure that that's really clear up front. And it is like within our tech, it is it's just inherently how it's built. But you could see that being a thing where you know someone, oh, I had a subscription with this last company that was month by month. I've now signed up for this new one, but it's it has a commitment that I didn't know that I made, and and some of those things. But I think um, and I think that's it, where that's where the, that's where the, what Felix was talking about the, the the sort of the era of trusted reviews we've got yeah. now, where that yeah. is almost the number one. You'll see that on every yeah. homepage. You know what is their FIFO rating? What you know what what is the the trust pilot score? Um, and that really is playing a massive role where, you know, I know from our members, that's something that they take very, 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 very seriously. And particularly when it's going to become so direct consumer yeah. um, facing. Because again, I guess the leasing and rental, I guess, a bit, but leasing industry particularly hasn't really had to face that because primarily it's been B2B or B2C via brokers. Yeah. And the brokers have kind of dabbled in that. So it's a new area for some of these types of businesses. But definitely think, yeah, it could become self-regulating in lots of ways. So. Yeah. So that's the, on the one hand, we've had the financial um uh, consumer finance regulation coming in, and then I guess the other real area of, of uncertainty is obviously the all the regulation that's coming in around uh, decarbonisation and the road to zero, where you know the um, it, it needs to happen to sort of support the supply chain. You know we need targets for phase out, we need the um, we need the the mandate to set sort of production targets and supply targets for the UK. Mm-hmm. We're in an arms race now for for electric vehicles, so we need the mm-hmm. UK to have back that ambition up with a regulatory framework. But I guess it's just the uncertainty now around, you know, we want to see that stuff enshrined, mm-hmm. introduced, and then we want to review it and, and make sure it's doing what it should do. But at the moment, that the negative sentiment we're seeing in some of the press um, and the sort of the jostling for position among some politicians um, is, is really not helping at all. I think we have, we're really counting the days until that we get clarity over the mandate. And we can just crack on and and, um, and sort of deal with it. Really, we're back at that lack of clarity, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> lack of absolutely. From the government, from the consumer, and from the for me, for me, the worst case scenario would be if, if we we get a delay in that mandate. We're expecting it at the end of the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, would be it doesn't happen. You know that, that there's a bit of a wobble in government, and it becomes a an election issue. You know the mm-hmm. next election, which I think would be the worst case scenario because we know from previous elections that's where you get the sort of polarisation and yep. people really wanting to sort of stand mm-hmm. out by, you know saying that they're you just you just end up with a with a sort of a yeah polarization of views and i think that would be negative now i think we yeah, we, we know what, we know where we need to be and i think people just want stability in terms mm. of what they're aiming at even everyone that's everyone from manufacturers to lease codes to rental companies i think even consumers probably need to want to know that as well someone said to me the other day that if it becomes an election issue you're going to end up having two parties fighting over spaceships or horses we should uh we should probably think about bringing this to a close yeah, yeah. i don't know if you had any closing thoughts uh no just i think it's such, such an interesting area and thanks for for sharing your thoughts toby i said so it really helped to um, kind of frame some of the stuff that we've done in the first half of the series and then um, I think we'll shape some of the stuff we're doing later on so it might be good to to get you back in a future uh, future session to give us a few on some of these things and how they progress so no thanks for coming on really appreciate well, no it no doubt if we do more we'll have taken shape and we'll have a whole new area to talk about uh, ready for the next election exactly yes but no thank you very much for coming down thank you thank you Chris for joining me yeah. as ever thank you for watching thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you next time thank you very much 